I take this uh, opportunity to recollect for all of us on what we're doing, reflect on what we're doing. Hopefully, to, to consider some, some aspect of the Buddhist teachings which we're contemplating, to consider them in a way which uh, hopefully can encourage us and help us to continue our practice. Practice of uh, recognizing that which is causing harm, that which is causing stress recognizing that which is painful, learning to patiently and courageously turn our hearts to to be willing to receive, feel, and learn about the difficult, and at the same time to perhaps surprisingly recognize the beauty, the joy, the serenity which can emerge from very simple things. The serenity and calm which can uh, manifest when we just pay attention to our body and allow the mind which can become so fractured thinking about this, thinking about that, planning this, planning that. When we allow the mind to rest with embracing the rhythm of the body, the breath, the footsteps, attending to being mindful means attending to the suchness, the, the, the feeling of our experience can actually be very peaceful. And that's a beautiful thing if we can experience that peace or know that peace. But it's also no need to get really discouraged if we don't experience the peace and, and feel a lot of rebellion in the mind and factors which hinder the mind. And then, and then learning to befriend those very states. And even learning to find a kind of joy, a kind of ease, in at least knowing that we're resting in the truth of things. Um, the truth of things, Philippa, at our discussion this evening, um, was uh, asking about the five khandhas, and uh, which is one of these lists that the, the Buddha offered his disciples to reflect on. The Buddha has all sorts of lists. There's the three refuges and the three characteristics of existence and the four noble truths and the five uh, spiritual faculties and the five spiritual powers and the six sense spheres and the seven factors of enlightenment and the eightfold path. <laughs> We're just, just starting. <laughs> We've got the, the ten paramitas and the twelve links of dependent origination and the thirty-seven body of the fifty-two mind states. 
And sometimes uh, when you get a whole bunch of lists together, that can be overwhelming. But, <laughs> but actually the list, the, the idea of the list was, a, was a, a reflective simplification. It was something that could actually help simplify. <laughs> and so with these uh, five khandhas, which uh, Philip has brought up, which we chant every morning, uh, do you remember we're, we're, we're talking about the five focuses of the grasping mind? That's a certain way of talking about it. But khanda means lump or pile or heap. The five heaps. It's as if you were going to an open market and you saw kind of a heap of rice and a heap of tomatoes and a heap of oranges and a heap of green beans and a heap of something else. And actually with these, with a reflection on the five khandhas or the five aggregates, uh, we can we can take a tour of the world. Buddha said there's nothing in the world outside these five heaps. That, that is, the world consists of these. And so, so if you try to contemplate the world and, and you get, oh gosh, uh, pine trees and peach trees, oak trees, grass and, and um, people and white people and black people and men and women and kind of conservatives and liberals and God, uh, insects and birds and dolphins and, and you, you, your list is growing and you get thousands of them and there's something very useful about being able to reduce the world <laughs> to five heaps and actually can be very uh, helpful in our contemplation and the first uh, khanda is called the, the rupa khanda or the kind of aggregate of form and uh, that which has shape, that which has form, that which has substance. And um, it's like matter. And, and we, can, we can look at the, the form of our body. Now all of these aggregates are called conditioned, meaning they're all come into being when certain conditions are there, they come into being. They're not frozen. All of the aggregates are subject to anicca. They're subject to change. Dukkha, they, they, don't, they don't stay. They're, they're all, uh, you can't freeze them because they, they keep shifting. So one can't find lasting satisfaction in one like form, the form of the body, as we've already talked about. We might uh, have, have the body in a in a form that we like and then we find that it uh, has energy and then it doesn't have energy. Or, or the body is um, or, or we all know the experience of uh, when, when, they, when as we're growing up or not even just as we're growing up how, how when we talk about form being an object of the grasping mind. When the mind identifies with the form, we know how how we can uh, be horrified at something that appears on our face. If we're uh, growing up and we and, and suddenly a blemish kind of seems huge, seems, seems vast, and we just can't possibly face the world without a kind of paper bag over. Our. <laughs> But the uh, so the Buddha said, you know, just reflect on your own uh, body is a form. But this form is isn't just 
though the concept makes it sound like it's a thing. Body sounds like a thing. I mean, there's a word for it. My body. But the, the concept is very misleading because this body is being continually propped up and sustained by conditions. Like the fact this body stays like that because I'm breathing. If I stop breathing and you looked at me in five days in this heat, <laughs> you think I look bad now. You see <laughs> what I look like. We don't drink uh, water. If, we, if uh, this body is recognizable as a body because it's not on fire. I mean, if a big fire came here, uh, the condition for me to continue is that it, I'm not sitting in a fire. Because in the body, form changes. This, this body also is conditioned by having uh, my mother and father come together. That allowed this, this body to begin. It's conditioned by all sorts of things. Um, anything we point to, uh, the flower is part of Rupakanda. The earth is, is Rupakanda. And the earth itself is, is conditioned. And it's in a dynamic process. Which, uh, which also won't last forever. The solar system, you can call Rupa, is a, is a recognizable form. Um, Gaia House is, is part of, is a form that we can recognize. Uh, so when we, when we consider the Rupa Kanda, the aggregate of form, we, we consider our own, what we call our own form, and we consider all forms. And uh, the Rupakanda is made up of solidity, the earth element, that which is hard, that which has kind of shape. It's made up of um, cohesiveness, something that sticks it together, that keeps things kind of glued. It's called the water element, the cohesiveness. If things are just earth, they tend to crumble. So there's a, this is in a Buddhist way of talking. Okay, the cohesive element is the water element. The, the movement element is called the vibrating element or the air element. So like the movement element that we've been contemplating a lot this week is the vibrating, vitalizing element which gives vitality to this form, it's the breath. And then the transforming element is the fire. So all forms, to some degree or other, all Rupakunda has different variations of mixtures of these elements. Like the fire element allows us to digest the food. <coughs> it allows us to transform um, the food. And the this, uh, the forms on this plane draw a lot of power from the the rupakanda, the form of the sun. We, the food we eat captures some of that power. Now we now we we've been investigating this this week contemplating form and also contemplating the suffering that goes with form when we claim form. And we can suffer not just when something happens to our body, but we can also, we can also <coughs> suffer when uh, something happens to anything, if, if, we, if we have grasped at it. So uh, we look out there and someone else's car gets scratched, do we think scratched, never mind. Paint comes and goes. <laughs> but what is the difference? What is the difference if it if it can be our car? 
and we go and see in the shop and we come back out and there's a big scratch on it. And then we first accuse our wife. <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> or we could look for somebody to blame. But what's that what's that feeling coming from? Is that kind of attachment to form? Or I remember when I, I was the abbot of the Devon Vihara and I was uh, the small little monastery up uh, near Honiton. And we had a, it was quite a big thing when we got a new carpet in the shrine room. <laughs> and I um, proceeded to give regular talks about to the monks <laughs> about how important it is to be mindful because, uh, you know, this was offered through gifts. We've got to take advantage, uh, take advantage, to take care of what we've, what we've been given. And so if you're going to be drinking things or something like that, you know, you've got to put a cloth underneath. You've got to protect it. I'll be mindful and then and when I was going through my kind of bag of medicines one day <laughs> and I at this time I was on a, a healing through beta carotene and I picked up one of these little pills and, and being a meditator just being an investigator I just was feeling its texture looking at it and then suddenly it exploded <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever exploded a beta carotene pill but it is blood red. I mean, it's just on this, this, this beautiful carpet. It's kind of blood red. Now, when there's attachment to form, even if it's not your body, there's pain immediately when something happens. There's immediate scrambling to praying that my cleaning efforts would resolve it. And deep apologies to all the monks. But we can reflect on uh, Rupakunda. Now, the first kanda is about form, and then the last four are all about the mind. And, and then the mind and the matter support each other. We can't really separate them out, because you notice I'm talking about uh, the, the rupa kanda, but, but it, how do we even know about it? We know about it because it's something that we experience. And, and the second aggregate is called feeling. And in its traditional definition, it's pointing to that aspect of the world, that aspect of our experience which sort of is pleased, or that aspect which is displeased, or that aspect which is uh, not really pleased or displeased. And so one of the uh, forms that we've been contemplating through this is, is the form of the eye. And because of the form of our eye, and because of its sensitivity and the fact that we're alive and we're not dead, because of light, then when the the um, the uh, eye encounters other forms, there's this kind of sense of consciousness, and then there's feeling. So feeling, either liking what we see or not liking what we see, or liking what we hear or not liking what we hear. This feeling emerges, or or uh, smelling, or kind of uh, tasting. When there's that contact kind of tasting and, and that kind of sense of being pleased or neutral you're not really sense of being displeased or or the feeling of um, in our body like when I had the stitches taken out the other day very sharp painful but short painful feeling because there was contact with the body and then that contact and that consciousness then conditioned uh, something in one that sort of finds it pleasing, something that finds it displeasing. Feeling. And feeling is always associated with uh, seeing, 
hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling in the body, or thinking, or imagining. Like if you imagine something, if I imagine My imagination just dried up. (laughs) (laughs) But on your meditation, or or when you're tired, that's a sensation in the body. And so there's uh, usually a kind of painful association with that. But what one person finds pleasing, another person person finds uh, painful. So feeling is another kind of that we can uh, contemplate, which is also changing. It doesn't freeze. It's something that we can see as changing as not stable and also we can reflect on it as not being who we are. Now feeling is very significant because in the Buddhist teaching it's considered to be the root then of clinging. Because when there's when there's not really clear seeing and then kind of feeling arises, and what tends to happen is desire comes and says, Yes, I want some more of that and it sort of becomes feeling. Or like if we look at a form and feel good about the form, we might just decide, yes, I feel good about that form, I'll take that form. The form of our body, or the form of our partnership, or the form of our life, or the form of our house, or something like that. So when there's a pleasing feeling, there's this tendency to take birth in that feeling. And when we, and then when we take birth in that feeling and become that feeling, then that conditions death. That means, because then when the feeling changes, there's a sense of something has happened. So, in, uh, in the, what we can reflect as meditators is start to notice how feeling is happening all the time. Just like right now, what we see, there's either a pleasing or displeasing or kind of neither one. Or what we hear, like in the chanting, there's some chanting we like, some chanting we don't like. <laughs> and we just notice. We're kind of in our meditations to kind of just notice how much of an interesting dynamic there is around in our meditation of liking some things and then this ancient tendency to move toward the light and then not liking things, this, this painful feeling and, and moving away. And things that are neutral sometimes just thinking, oh, that's, that's just boring, you know. And one of the things about watching the breath that, that, that is not easy is that many of us have been conditioned to think something which is so unexciting. It's not. It's not uh, particularly stunning in a pleasant way, or not particularly horrific in a uh, in an awful way, unless we're choking or unless we have a terrible asthma attack or something like that. And so, oftentimes, to to give attention to the neutral is is, is very difficult. And yet, uh, we can learn a lot about equanimity and serenity when we learn to give attention to the neutral. And so, um, just looking at that, the relationship we have with feeling and how much of our birth can be around trying to keep feeling the way that we want it to be and noticing the stress of that. The third, but feeling is a mental factor. You can't, you can't point to it as something you can see with your physical eye. I mean, show me a pleasant feeling. You can't. It's, it, it emerges from contact, conscious contact. That's how feeling emerges. 
fact, in the, the uh, third aggregate, which is also a mental factor, called sunya or perception, and that's this aspect of nature that uh, labels things, that, that can remember things, that can designate. I mean, what is it in our life that can say, you know, Philippa, floor, space, roof? And if I didn't have some capacity to remember or to hold an image, I would just kind of... <laughs> I mean, like children, that's why, you know, these little children, their eyes are kind of so big, they're not, they're not at first, not, not designating so much. You know, you can just kind of be like that. But, but the capacity to, to perceive a color, to perceive green, to perceive um, orange, to perceive painful, to perceive pleasant, to perceive neutral, to perceive friend, to perceive enemy, to perceive good, to perceive bad. I mean, perceptions are very powerful and they're very fast, they're very flickering. We can notice in our meditation, a thought comes bad, kind of go like that. Or um, the perception me is a very powerful one. Kind of and notice perception can recognize things, but also it has a way of splitting things up. It has a way of kind of separating. Because that, that's how impressions work. It, it, it's an impression of this, but then what about that? And we do have certain perceptions that are, I guess, uh, we, have, we can have the perception of the totality. That's the possibility of a perception. But even that is a... Is a, is, a, is a subtle thought form that's there and then it's gone. So when we're contemplating the world, we can contemplate how perception changes very quick. And then the next one's called sankara, which is in volition or thinking. Now this, this might, forgive me if this is technical and boring, but it is, it is useful to, to reflect on the totality or the whole, whole of our being. Notice that there's a part of our being which can create. See, so far we've talked about form, which is just doing its thing, it's changing, okay, vibrating. Even an atom is kind of vibrating. The world is kind of, Earth is revolving around the sun. We can talk about feeling which happens, you know, it just sounds automatic, feeling which happens when I hear the chanting and then either like it or don't like it or I'd go to sleep. Or kind of perception, would also, which also seems kind of automatic, you know, red, spacious, crowded, good, bad. But the interesting one about volition is that we have the capacity to create. Okay, here are the forms in my life right now. Let's say I don't like that form. What is it that goes like this? You know, I don't like that feeling. I'll bring a different feeling in. Oh God, this getting pretty heavy in here so we head for the door and then then we've got another world we have changed our world different world we've got cool coming yeah that's better some heavy vibes in there you know kind of breathing cool or uh, seeing something walking by in the store and seeing an ice cream sign happens to me and then and then so what is it what is it that then (coughs) 73 seconds later, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what was that? <laughs> That's called Sankara. 
so it was a set of perceptions. I mean, you know, and it involves the whole thing, it, all of it. There's a form, a recognizable form, so there's perception. You know, it's happening really fast. Perception, ice cream size. Like that. And then pleasing feeling. Or maybe displeasing. It might be a kind you don't like. You know, let's go looking for something else. But, you know, if, it, if it's a pleasing feeling, then jatana moves right in there. Volition. It, it, it shifts the matter. It turns your body. You start kind of walking through there. <laughs> finding your wallet or finding whatever it is. And then, and then that happens. So, so desire or, or also the same thing. You know, something happens and somebody says something that you don't like and you change the reality. You close the door in the face. I mean, what is that? That's, that's volition. It's kind of changing the world. Being motivated in that case by an unwholesome tendency, uh, desire to kind of blot out. Or, 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 but sometimes our creations can be generous, sometimes they can be wise, sometimes our creations can be mixed, sometimes they can be uh, jealous, whole things that we create out of jealousy, whole things we create out of envy, whole things we create out of spite, whole things we create out of love, whole things we create out of compassion, whole things we create out of recklessness. So, so this, this, and we can actually explore volition. It's very fascinating. You know, explore to say or not to say. And this has been the usefulness of the silence, I think. Because usually before you say something, there has to be a thought. And, and, and to, you know, what am I going to put into motion? And what spin am I putting on it when I speak? The kind of spin that we put on it, the thought process behind it, the intention, that's sankara, and that is, uh, that is something that uh, is... Uh, and that is something we can attach to, too. We can attach, we can be control freaks, and to some extent we all are, when we like keeping the world the way we want it to be and getting really upset if it's not the way we want it to be and scrambling to keep it the way that we want to be. Sometimes it, it can be out of greed. Sometimes it can be out of aversion. Sometimes it can be out of wisdom and compassion and there isn't a stress in it. But the only way to know the difference is through really starting to notice our volitions, our intentions, our thought processes, and how that leads to movement, how that leads to speech, how that leads to action. And the last uh, kanda, the last heap, is... Um, and so there's our intentions and everyone's intentions. It's our form and, and everyone's form, and the earth and, and all the stars, and doing their kind of dance of form. And then the, and then, uh, the conscious contact with the forms of life, the thoughts, the feelings, the substance gives all the feelings. So our feelings and everyone else's feelings is all part of the kanda of, uh, of feeling happening all through the universe. And our perceptions and everyone's perceptions through all the different kingdoms of life. And our volitions... And, you know, it's not just humans that have volition. You can see animals have the power of willpower, have the capacity to want or not want. And the, and the last one is uh, consciousness. And it's, this word is used in a particular sense. It means, it means that aspect of our life that notices. So, so there's the form, but then there's noticing the form. 
And the two go together. The two are, you can't have one without the other, really. I mean, because there's my form and then a moment of noticing the form. Raising the arms and then noticing the raising of the arms. It's the consciousness of. So there can be eye consciousness. There can be uh, the form of the dusk of the day, the form of the gathering in the shrine room, and my noticing of the form. If I was asleep, I wouldn't have that eye consciousness. There might be dream consciousness, but because I'm awake and my eyes in contact with this form, then there's the form and noticing the form, the form and noticing the form. And there's ear consciousness, as, as, uh, the blowing of a nose. One can hear, hear that. And then there's um, a feeling consciousness is, is right now, let's say, the pressure in our right leg. Now, that's, that's part of pressure, that's part of form. As the water element tries to push through with the blood, as the heart element, the bones are kind of pressing on the muscles on the cushion or the chair. And there will be a kind of feeling associated with our attention to that, neutral or pleasing or displeasing. But notice there's a moment of noticing the form, noticing the form, noticing the form, noticing the form. So, or noticing the thought, noticing the thought, noticing the thought. So consciousness is flickering and changing all the time too. And so these, these five form, feeling, perception, volition, or thinking, and consciousness are, are, are kind of considered the world and, 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 and birth and death. You can only talk about, in a Buddhist sense, birth and death in terms of just these things. Trying to hold on to forms, trying to get rid of forms. Trying to hold on to feelings, trying to get rid of feelings. Trying to hold on to perceptions of safety and, and friend and, and, and like and, and trying to get, get rid of other perceptions. Being addicted to certain kind of volitions because the whole process of keeping and getting rid of it has to use our power. And then the noticing of that, the noticing of that, the noticing of that. Now all of these things are what's called created. All of them are conditioned, just as I talked about my body coming together through my mother and father and all the elements. Everything we've talked about, the pleasing sight of the ice cream sign, happened because the sign was up there and my eye was open and, and, it, and it was hot. Those factors came together. If it was freezing, I would see that and there wouldn't be any kind of pleasant sensation. It might be an unpleasant sensation. Or the but when there isn't wisdom, when there isn't understanding of the conditioned nature, the changing nature of these five aggregates, then, uh, then with in ignorance, in not seeing clearly, in lack of awareness, we just we, we camp out on them. We take them, and we might identify with a, a clear complexion and feel happy with that. And then something happens to our complexion, and we drop into hell. Identify with health. Something happens to that, and we can drop into hell. And we've been through all of this. Now the Buddha taught. He said that if there was now, all I'm talking about is called the condition, the realm of birth and death. The Buddha also taught, he said, there is an unconditioned, there's an uncreated, there's an unoriginated, there's an unformed. This might sound a bit funny. He said, monks, if it wasn't for 
be unconditioned, uncreated, unoriginated, unformed. There would be no escape from the created, from the conditioned, from the originated, from the form. If all there was was, it was just these khandas, these heaps, just form and perception and feeling, volition and consciousness, Buddha said there would be no escape. But he said there is this, that which doesn't die is another way of putting it. That which hasn't come together. What comes together comes apart is a kind of a law. All these heaps arose and then they cease because they've existed. So the word existence is good for describing the heaps. Existence is, is built around ex, which means out, and istance comes from the root sistoire. It means it stands out. Something that stands out, then it comes back. The flower exists, its form appears, and then it goes back as it dissolves back into the earth. The flame appears, and then the candle gets used up. Our life appears, and in time, the form which we can recognize as kitty sorrow goes back. And, and any form that one points to, any feeling that one points to, any perception, follows these laws. So what is this that doesn't die? What, what is this that isn't born and doesn't die? This Nibbana. Now in some, well, hope you don't get too bored. It's, gonna, it's hard to, it's not easy to try to express this. The Buddha didn't, didn't start by saying, Believe me, just believe me and, 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 and just say it. I believe in the unconditioned. I believe in the unconditioned. Do you believe in the unconditioned? Who believes in the unconditioned? You don't believe in the unconditioned? Do something to that guy. And that's interesting. It's very interesting. I mean, well, and yet, really, the word God, to me in its most mystical sense, was, was a word that was trying to point to something that you can't see with the eye, point to something which is timeless. And it used to be a word which one had reverence for because it, it reminded one of that which needs to be really deeply understood. But notice what's happened when you give a word like that to something. Then you can easily kind of grasp the word, put it in your pocket, and start going around badgering people with it and saying, I've got it, but do you? And so, and so rather than, 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 than kind of telling everyone to leap up to the unconditioned or to believe in the unconditioned, the interesting thing is, you know, to believe in the immortal, the Buddha started from the ground. He started practically. He said, look at the mortal. Look at the conditioned. Look at the painful. Look at the ordinary. That's something we can do. It's through not understanding the mortal, not understanding the changing, not understanding the condition, not understanding what comes and goes. It's only through not understanding that that we then don't recognize that which is, which is that which timelessly is. So notice what, 
what we've really been, though, you know, I, I didn't bore everyone the first night with this kind of dry tour of the world of the five khandhas, but really all we've been looking at, what we've been, I mean, be much more exciting to have a big balloon and say, I'll take everyone on a big trip. <laughs> but what we've been doing is touring the khandhas. I mean, what we've been doing is, is, uh, gathering your quality of consciousness, your quality of noticing. That's what we've been trying to do. It's a changing thing. It's not in concrete our mindfulness. We have moments of being able to notice, moments of collected consciousness. Noticing what? Noticing the breath. Noticing something that's very mortal, very changing. Noticing the in-breath, and then it dies into the out-breath. In-breath, it dies into the out-breath. So we've been contemplating form and its changing nature, contemplating sound and its changing nature, contemplating moods. And what we've also noticed about these khandhas and about these, uh, especially this khanda of volition, we've noticed this tendency to make assumptions, this tendency to claim and to own and to cling. <coughs> started to notice that, this tendency to make a self out of dullness, to make a self out of agitation, to identify and get caught up in. But by limiting ourselves to a contemplation, by setting up a structure, a temple, a boundary, the old word temple meant template, having a boundary, like a shrine room, (coughs) or a posture, or a walking path, and within that boundary, committing oneself to that so that one then could notice the flow of life, the change of life. We've had the opportunity to see mood shift and change, to see the breath shift and change, and then to begin to start to discover a quality of space around it, to begin to discover that the breath moves, but there's still a stillness. What's that? The moods come and go. But there's something that's behind that. just an analogy, but it it helps us get a feeling for how to look at the condition and the unconditioned. The nature of perception and the nature of consciousness, when it's guided by not really clear investigation, tends to be preoccupied with forms. But how often do we see around the form? Do we see the space around the form? We see the people. We see what we like. We see what we don't like. But without the space, what could happen? We couldn't even use this room unless there was a space. Space doesn't really, it's hard to talk about a quality of space, but space allows a framework within which things can arise, things can come and things can go. Or another image. One night I was traveling back from a teaching engagement in London years ago and uh, 
the driver I was with, a good friend, was falling asleep at the wheel, and he said, I'm falling asleep at the wheel, I've got to pull off the road. So he pulled off the road, and in a few seconds he was snoring, and I was sort of sitting there. And we were in the middle of nowhere, and I was sitting there, looking out the window, black night, sky, and then just in the middle of nowhere, then this, this amazing thing happened, this fireworks display started, and something went up and it went, and you know, this this kind of greens and reds and yellows, and I, and I was thinking, Ricky, Ricky, and then I thought, God, he's sleeping, I mean, this is my show, and so, <laughs> so I was watching this, and, and, and you would see this amazing color, and the heart being thrilled to see that, and then it would disappear into the black, and, and then you can be waiting for another one, and, and you think, ah, and then, you know, that kind of excitement, and then it would disappear, and then suddenly a few of them would go off, or they would be rainbow colors, like that, and you would say, then, you know, I started to notice the thrill at seeing the form, but I also noticed the, 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 the immensity of the black sky, the vastness of the black side that it kept being dissolved back into. So that I just wasn't, I saw the stress of just waiting for the next one all the time and also not realizing the beauty, the vastness, the clarity, the suchness, of that vast space that it would just dissolve back into again. And I realize that's a kind of image for when, when we only know the khandas or the heaps, we're, 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 we're kind of so focused on the forms, the pleasant feelings, yeah, we kind of go for that, the unpleasant feelings, we kind of go away from that. And the pleasing forms and the boring forms we don't really notice, and the horrible forms we kind of crush. And yet, how much do we, do we notice that these forms appear and dissolve every instant into the space of the heart? Don't really notice the space. Or it's like noticing the waves on the sea. You can even give them names, big wave, little wave. And, and really think of them as separate things and not really realize that they're, they're a part of a vast depth, a still depth. a place where it's one, a place where it's all connected. Where it's like in the garden, to, maybe to those who aren't gardeners, which I'm, I'm not when you, you notice, oh, there's an oak tree, aren't they strong? Yeah, they're really impressive. And all oh, that uh, beech tree has got beautiful, sleek bark and very, very beautiful. And, uh, well, the birch tree is a little bit... I mean, it's pretty, but it doesn't have the strength of... And you can notice all these different ones in the pine trees, and we kind of give them different names as if they're different, just as we give each other different names and forms. But how much do we notice that aspect of life where they're all the same, where those trees can't be differentiated anymore, and all those trees are rooted in the earth. They're sustained by the earth. And if they weren't rooted in the earth, it would be a dead tree. It wouldn't be a tree. But when they go down into the earth and then draw nourishment from the earth, when you go down into the root system, down into the earth, then you can't separate anymore this tree from this tree from this tree. It's where they merge. And the Buddha taught, actually, there's a ground of our being. The unconditioned is like the ground or the ocean or that, or that night sky of our being. And that there's a place 
where all things merge. The Buddha taught all things merge in that which doesn't die. And if we're only preoccupied with forms, then we won't notice that space, spaciousness, and we'll only know birth and death because we'll grasp at a form and wonder why it lets us down and then blame someone else, not realizing we've asked the world of change to do what it can't do, asking a rainbow to last forever. I mean, asking, asking, asking a bubble to be solid, asking, uh, asking our body never to age. I mean, that's, a, that's such a, an unfair demand when we start blaming people when, when, when our pleasant feelings don't, don't keep lasting. So in meditation, when we start to notice forms arise and forms cease, we start to notice the space around form. The space around a thought. And there's a, and rather than hating the formed, hating the changing, hating the kundas, we can start to reflect that each one takes us home. Each one takes us to the truth. Each wave is part of the sea, really. Each blast takes us back to the stillness of the, of the night sky, if we're patient enough to look. So each thought. My name is Kitty Sorrow. It emerges out of the silence, falls back into the silence. I'm, I'm really happy today. Merges into the consciousness and then falls back. Oh gosh, I just can't, can't really quite figure out what to do. Merges, falls back into the ground of being, falls back into silence. I wonder if I'm doing it properly. Emerges, falls back. I think I must be enlightened. <laughs> Emerges, now notice what happens. I think I must be enlightened. Yes, then you go tell your family, and then you go tell everybody else, and then you've told everybody else, so you've got to keep keeping that up. I must be enlightened, I must be enlightened, I must be enlightened. And then, and, and then you really suffer when your beta-carotene falls on the carpet. And then you think, oh, I'm not enlightened. I'm actually not enlightened. I'm not enlightened. I'm not enlightened. I, I, I'm not enlightened. I'm not enlightened. I'm not enlightened. I'm not getting any words. not the right. Damn. <laughs> not enlightened. I'm not enlightened. And then, and then someone else says, no, but your samadhi's good. You're on the path. I'm 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 on the path, and then someone else says, you're going to hell. You don't believe in God. God, I don't believe in God. Now, what is that? That's, that's called not recognized. That's being addicted to the form. Confident form, yeah. Doubtful form, doubt. Unhappy form, unhappy. Now, what happens in our meditation if we see form arising and ceasing? It's not self. It's Dhamma. It arises and ceases. And so where are we abiding? That very willingness to see the change, to not be moved by it. We're standing in a different place. We're not standing on the flickering definition of consciousness that I'm talking about. 
We're, we're standing in awareness. We're standing in being. We're standing in non-grasping. So that the birth and death, the natural birth and death of thought, the natural birth and death of doubt, the natural birth and death of happiness, are seen for what they are. And there isn't this deluded tendency to kind of jump up on a, on a bubble and try to build a house on it. When we really see that the thought, I'm enlightened, is a pretty shaky place to build a house. I mean, just listen. I am enlightened. That's just a bubble. And, and, and to get so excited about that thought coming into the mind. And if we build a house there, then the thought that comes in, I'm not enlightened, but, but becomes a major threat. So what happens if we just begin to see thought, to recognize thought, to recognize feeling, to recognize... And then we realize that in non-grasping, things arise and cease, and we're abiding. We're not standing, though, on, on a certain form. We're not standing on a certain feeling. We're not standing. We're standing in the relinquishment. There's non-grasping. So what's holding us? You could call it the ground of being, if you like. You could call it Buddha, if you want to. You call it God. It doesn't matter what one wants to call it. But that's just the calling, just the name, which is another part of the transiency. But the rest, the peacefulness, comes from that relinquishment and that resting. I call it the bed of being ill for so long, the bed has become a great symbol for me. The bed of being. It's the kind of <laughs> when I was uh, in the hospital after my wrestling career ended when a Japanese-American wrestler who became a friend of mine when I was, uh, still had Olympic aspirations and they, they got quickly shifted when I put my shoulder in the wrong position. He threw his hip in there and it got ripped out. So I had four stainless steel screws put in this. And when I started to shift my wrestling style, after that healed up, and then the other one got hurt, I finally gave up wrestling. But anyway, when I was in the hospital with this uh, thing, there was a, after I had these 26 stitches and the four screws and the big operation, and I was on the bed, and there was uh, the bar above the bed. And then, you know there's a bed back there, and you're sitting up, but you're tired, and you can't clean, you can't hold on anymore. You're just exhausted, and you want to, you want to lie down. But it's so far. I mean, is it really going to be down there? <laughs> your, your your shoulders hurting. Oh God, I, I don't. And and you know, you just don't know what's going to happen if you let go. You just don't kind of know what's really going to happen, and, and you know, it'll hurt. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. <laughs> but you let go, and you fall, and it catches you, and the bed catches you. Or when you're lying down, you're on the ground floor, you're on the earth, you're on the bed, and you can rest and you're, you're held there. And it's just effortless. And if we can have the trust to, to, to actually start to experiment, just holding lightly and letting things change, letting the breath come and go, and letting the feelings come and go, and allowing ourselves even to be with the unpleasant, and even the neutral, and getting a feeling from being caught, being... You only fall so far and then you notice, hey, this is all right. Once being held by our being, by our awareness. And that's not part of the khandas. It's not a heap. It's, it's because within that awareness, everything appears. 
the whole of the totality is arising <coughs> and ceasing in, in that awareness. And so the Buddha taught that the actual letting go of greed, the letting go of hatred, the letting go of delusion, the letting go of clinging, we don't go off to some other place, we just notice what's always been here. We notice this quality of peacefulness. And then in our moments of forgetfulness, there's pain. Not the pain of that, that is just the pain of having a body, but the mental pain, the pain of birth and death, the pain of grasping, the pain of stress. And we know it's because we're clinging to something. And then that, so that pain then can be a friend to help us sense, hey, what's going on here? And then we practice working skillfully. So much of this grasping comes out of this habitual thought, habitual thinking that's just so focused on the thought, Mm -hmm. I like, I don't like. As our meditation gets strong enough, as our mindfulness gets strong enough, can we start to hear thoughts begin? And then hear thoughts in and begin to get a feeling for the silence after the thought. Because we're still there, there's vigilance. And notice how much of our sense of safety comes from defining who we are by saying, I'm good, I'm bad. Just feeling the stress of that and get used to when the thought ends. Being at ease, just being in the stillness. Not being supported by something which is illusory. doesn't mean we shouldn't think, but we're not leaning on thought. We're just using thought in its suchness. And using the who, who's making a problem, to let the mind go quiet for a moment. And notice how the bubbles of thought keep dropping into the ground, into the heart. So may our, our trust in these refuges which all point to the heart, they don't point anywhere else. They don't deny the five, but they begin to investigate the five. And in investigating the five, it's not that they're apart from the unconditioned, but it's like the khandas and the unconditioned become part of the totality. Like the head of a coin and the tails of the coin seem different when you name them. There's heads, there's tails. Those are two concepts that are talking about different aspects of suchness. And there is an aspect of suchness that's moving and changing and flickering, but within the movement of the breath, within the movement of the heartbeat, within the movement of the thought, there's also a stillness. There's also an always isness. There's also a peacefulness, which is always radiant and always here, but which is possible to ignore, and which according to the Buddha and the saints and sages, it's possible to realize. And so may we find out for ourselves, may we find out for ourselves through this skillful work whether, whether this is true, and really inquire what is, what is uh, real. And I'll finish with a, a short poem that came to me in my year of silence in the, uh, in the uh, forest when I was contemplating this trust. 
just learning little by little to let go, little by little to trust into the refuge. And the poem was called uh, uh, Faith or Trust. I can't remember which. It, went, it goes like this. Trust is precious, a treasure trove of gold. Guard it with all your heart and you'll never get old. It's not a question of this or that, believed or disbelieved, but rather letting where you're at be silently received. The heart of faith, the heart that knows, leaves no trace and neither comes nor goes. May the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas and all the saints and sages really, in our good friendship, uh, keep helping us to uh, have the strength to begin again each day and do this practice. So I offer these words for your um, consideration and I apologize if it was uh, too long for you to write. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.